Welcome to The Compliance Files, brought to you by Compliance Institute. The Compliance Files is a unique podcast series, giving you access to industry insights and key perspectives on how the evolving regulatory landscape is driving change, bringing challenge and opportunity for compliance professionals everywhere. Hello, and welcome to the Compliance Files podcast of the Compliance Institute in Ireland. I am Cathy Jacobs, former president of the Compliance Institute and experienced compliance professional, and it is a great pleasure for me to host this podcast. One of the core pillars of the mission of the Compliance Institute is to educate its members to ensure that they have the skills required in the organizations they serve. From the beginning, 20 years ago, the Compliance Institute's partner in the delivery of its program of education has been the IOB, formerly known as the Institute of Banking. So I am delighted to talk today to Miri O'Dea, Chief Executive of IOB, as part of our 20th anniversary series. Miri joined the Institute of Banking in April 2018 from the Central Bank of Ireland, where she was Director of Securities and Market Supervision. Prior to that, she spent six years in Washington, D.C., first as Alternative Executive Director of the International Monetary Fund, and then as Ireland's representative at the World Bank. Mary previously held several director roles with the Central Bank of Ireland, including Director of Financial Operations and Consumer Director. In 2009, she was acting Chief Executive of the Financial Regulator. Mary is a non-executive director of Euronext Dublin and a member of the Governing Authority of University College Dublin. Mary has master's qualifications in economics, treasury and investment management and business and executive coaching. Welcome to the Compliance Files podcast, Mary, and thank you very much for talking to us today. Thanks, Cathy. Mary, we'll, we'll start with your own career. Could you take our listeners through what has been your career journey to date? If you take us back to the beginning, what was in your plan, if you had a plan, um, what happened along the way, and then how, how you ended up in your current role? Sure, Cathy. And just before I do, can I congratulate you on your year as president of the now Compliance Institute and well done on that fabulous rebrand. It looks great and the name is fabulous. So congratulations and well done on that. And also congratulations to everyone around the Compliance Institute on your 20 year anniversary. Delighted to see that. And I know we're going to be saying a little bit more about the the start of it maybe later on. But just to your question then on my own career journey. So on the goals part uh, is an easy one. I didn't have goals, so I didn't actually set out with any specific goals. I feel career wise, I've actually been really lucky. And I've been really lucky because I've managed to have a career where I got great opportunity and always managed to be doing something I really enjoyed and I really loved. But as I say, it started quite differently. So when I went to college, uh, I went with the intention of studying economics and history with the view to being a teacher. And of course, that's quite ironic, given where I am now and very much in the, the education profession. I had two sisters who were teachers, so that was kind of in the family. But while I was in college, I discovered that I really loved economics and not so much the history part. And my love of economics really sort of sent me on a road of double majoring in economics. So I actually took pure economics and was therefore completely ruling myself out of any teaching job for the future. And after that, through various other career, I, I spent a very short time with Gord Falch and other bits and pieces. This was the 80s. It was actually very hard career time, you know, to look for a job. I went back and I did a master's 
And following on that, ended up in the central bank as an economist in the central bank. And of course, as someone who had studied economics, this was a real prize. And I was just so chuffed and delighted to start off in my role in the central bank. And I started off very much on the forecasting side. So my first job was around forecasting the public sector pay bill and working with all the great economists that were in the bank, learned so much from those people uh, every day. And then in 1987, the Financial Services Centre was being set up and the regulatory regime across Europe, including the Investment Services Director, for example, hadn't come into place yet. So uh, it, it was thought best to set up an environment where you would have both economic economists and accountants working together to set up a regulatory system for anyone who might decide to be in the IFSC. So that was, again, a really exciting time. It was a time of build. We were looking at requirements for stock exchange, requirements for futures exchanges. And of course, the funds industry was completely in its infancy. I mean, there was a tiny number of unit trusts in Ireland, and that was it. And we began to build a, a regime, a regulatory regime around the fund side. That was very exciting. I moved on then to the role of consumer director, which was an area I loved with passion. My father spent most of his life in the, the retail trade. And I always had an interest in consumer and consumer protection and uh, really enjoyed the first real build part of that. And of course, the very first ever consumer protection code in 2007. So loved working with the team in that role to bring that about. And then um, moved on uh, for a year, as you said in the intro there, I was acting CEO in 2009 during the time of the financial crisis uh, in the regulator. From there, moved on to Washington and spent three years with the IMF as the alternate director for Ireland there in a representative capacity while we were in a programme. So again, a very, very different time to be in the IMF from perhaps uh, normal times, let's say, but then spent the following three years at the World Bank also representing Ireland there. And again, a very different, but no less uh, interesting and exciting role, finally ending up uh, as chief executive here uh, in IOB. So uh, as I said right at the outset, Kathy, I feel I've been really lucky in um, the fact that I've had parts of my career all the way through. They're always interesting, always something new, always something different, and certainly always learning. Thanks, Mary, for, for, for taking us through your, your career. And um, just looking back on the immediate past, when we look at the pandemic years and the most recent crisis that that You've, you've been steering very important organization like IOB through. What were the significant events in, in, in that time during the pandemic? I've just actually been thinking about that. I was actually just reflecting on that recently, say, OK, through the pandemic, really, what were the areas that struck me? And I think the thing that has struck me most is people. I think the, the real resilience of people and how people dig deep and produce fantastic results. So, I mean, if I start with the IOB team, we had two major strategic projects to deliver during that period. We had just set out uh, on our five-year strategy and we were delivering IOB Learn, which is our new learning platform, as well as EdQ, the black blockchain platform. So they were both very significant projects. Both of those continued to pace, were delivered on time, on budget, because of people actually adapting and working so well. But even more than that, 
to actually see people turn around understanding our mission of delivering education uh, to, to raise professional standards and people from their houses saying, okay, what's the best way we can do that? Very, very quickly uh, got things together to be able to have a full online experience. We were always hybrid, but be able to give that full online experience our faculty were amazing and our faculty are drawn from right across the industry. Again, they were having their own pressures in their own jobs, but actually rose to the challenge and turned around and said, yes, I can do this. Help me, support me. But of course, I can do it. And most of all, our students. So we have somewhere between eight and a half and nine thousand students who study with us every year. We had no drop in that through the pandemic. So here's people who, if you think about it across financial services, you're there, you're now working from home, you're under much higher pressure, especially people who are on the front line who are answering calls from people uh, who in turn are frustrated. They have CPD to keep up with. All of that happened through the pandemic. And I was looking at some figures the other day. We have 28, almost 29,000 designation holders. And those people completed 820,000 hours with us during that time period. Now, I think that's absolutely phenomenal that people were able to still do that. So that, that was a real high point for me that if I look back at the horrible couple of years we've come through, but actually the, the resilience of people, you know, the real concentration on delivering on mission, digging deep and bringing all of that. So that was a, a real high point for me. And Mary, looking at education a bit more and its its role in, in your career and your your approach to it. As a leader, what is your philosophy on education? And having recently graduated yourself with a master's in, in business and executive coaching, what is your own approach to career-long education? Uh, and how should listeners approach refreshing their own knowledge and skills? Well, you're right, uh, Cathy. I love the, the notion of lifelong learning. I think, and in fact, I think whether you actually strategically set out to learn or don't, you are actually learning every day. And I think opening yourself up to that possibility and almost approaching your tasks in that way to say, here's another new learning experience can really help you as a learner. And the other thing I would say is that every learner is different. So some people like, you know, small bite-sized learning or they like a visual with their learning. Others like to engage differently. And knowing what sort of a learner you are is actually a big help in terms of saying, what kind of learning do I want? And again, I think as we build out products within IOB, one of the things we're very conscious in any surveys we do with our members is not every learner is the same. So if you think of our population, so we are 34,000 members, that most of them, almost all of them, are working. So they want learning that fits into a working life. They want to be able to take it on the go, to have bite-sized learning. They also want to be able to network and talk with people in the industry. And that's a particular type of learning. So for me, I think understanding what sort of a learner you are. And I would say in my career, I've done a huge amount of learning from other people. So I mentioned when I started in the central bank there on the forecasting side as a young economist, and people are so generous in their time. They would literally sit down, take you through. This is how the forecasting works. Here's what, if you want to come back, check in. Learning from other people is just as important, I believe, 
as the formal type of learning that we do. And you mentioned I just completed the master's in business and executive coaching. I took I didn't really set out to say I want to do a complete master's. I took the one diploma really enjoyed that and found it was really helping me in my current role. So it was really helping me in my management style and my leadership of the organization. So I thought, okay, I'd like to supplement that learning in a different way and then carried on on that path. So and one piece of learning that that, uh, I also completed during the pandemic was our own bank director program. And the reason I did that, actually, Cathy, was because everyone I met would say, oh, that program is absolutely fantastic. We've wonderful faculty uh, across that program. And I thought, gosh, if somebody else says this to me, I really haven't experienced. I'd love to actually experience that. And I did and really, really enjoyed it. And I also think there's a time of life around your learning. So I don't think we should be beating ourselves up to say, you know, I really want to have a qualification that's an NFQ, uh, you know, National Framework Qualification. If at that point in time, we're very busy with other things and we're devoting our lives to other interests or things or kids or whatever else is going on in our lives, uh, that we shouldn't be too hard on ourselves. We can take learning in all sorts of different ways nowadays. Okay, so so know your your learning style and learn from from other people um, and a a mixture of on the job and and formal education and also develop a love of learning in and of itself rather than as a means to an end. Um, I think those are those are those are great insights, Mary. And the Compliance Institute and IOB have as their core mission, the education upskilling of professionals. And you were actually involved at the very beginning of the Compliance Institute. Um, what are your memories and thoughts on that time? Well, I do remember that time very well, Cathy. And in fact, I was also uh, chatting to a few others who are, given that it's the 20th anniversary, um, a few of us have been talking about that recently as well. So I suppose where I was in the central bank at the time the Compliance Institute was being set up, uh, the role of the compliance professional was kind of, growing in the industry. So there was very much an acknowledgement that previously you might have focused on the internal auditor as you know the person uh, who watched uh, compliance issues. But now there was much more of a need and a requirement on the compliance side. And, and I'd almost summarize it by a move away from a compliance officer, which was generally the title at the time, towards a compliance professional. So it was really professionalizing this and also creating a forum for compliance professionals to get together and discuss the issues that they faced. The compliance officer can be a very lonely role. It can be a role where, uh, as you know, uh, Cathy, that, that in an organization, you're the one who is bringing people together, supporting them through compliance, and so certainly in the early days, that wasn't all, always the job that was thanked the most. So I think having that forum was definitely seen uh, within the central bank as something that was very much needed and, and very much supported. And I was talking to um, some of my ex, uh, my colleagues who were let depart of the IOB now, Anthony Walsh there recently, and he was recalling the beginning of it from IOB's perspective also. And at that time, of course, um, Niall Gallagher would have approached IOB, talked about what he wanted to do with some other colleagues and how he wanted to set it up. And of course, uh, IOB, LIA and II were very much involved at that and supporting it. 
Uh, and it's just fantastic to see that we're here 20 years later, having gone from strength to strength with wonderful education programs that we work together on, Cathy. So it, it's great to see that it has endured all that time. Yes. And Niall actually was talking to us recently about his vision for, for the Institute. So I would direct our listeners to that podcast as well. Mary, just turning to your own leadership and, and you talked earlier um, about people and, and resilience and how that, that got us through the pandemic. That doesn't happen without very strong leadership. And how important are values for yourself as a leader? And could you talk about maybe two or three values that, uh, that you live by in, in any of your leadership roles? So I, th- I think values are hugely important. And I think we all have values, whether we call them values or not. And it's the way we live our lives. It's the things that are important to us on an everyday basis. So even if we never used that terminology, I think we can all look at whether it's leaders in our organizations or colleagues and have a bit of a guess at what their values might be because it's how they live uh, every day. So for me, I would say one of the things that I really value is difference. A a passion of mine is helping people, including myself, to bring their authenticity and really be their true selves. We talk quite a lot about how diversity helps in different groups. I strongly believe that that's true, but it only helps if we can really bring that diversity. And if we as individuals take responsibility for, you know, not slipping into the crowd, but actually bringing that true authentic self. So I really value that difference and people bringing that true authentic self, including myself, but it's something, of course, we all have to work on continuously. The other thing I really value is trust. So a huge value for me is trust and honesty. I actually find it very difficult to engage with somebody if there is a lack of trust, so much so that it's something that I feel I have to raise and call out if there is a issue around a lack of trust. I find it hard to sort of park it to the side somewhere and carry on. It's really important to me that in any of my dealings or any of my relationships that we operate on a basis of trust and therefore, of course, uh, to me, operate much more effectively. So that trust and honesty bit would be really important to me. So I think those two, if I was to pick just two, they're the two I'd pick. And turning to the attributes of an effective leader, what do you think would be the top attributes of of someone who's, who's good as a leader? I'd probably start, uh, and you won't be surprised to hear this, with the honesty one. So I'd very much uh, start with, you know, somebody who's very honest in their dealings and therefore fosters trust. So whether, you know, the message is something that people want to hear or something that people are not going to like, I think honesty is hugely important because otherwise people simply won't trust you as a leader. The other things I would mention are perspective. I think as a leader, you have to make sure that you look at different perspectives. So really stand back from a problem or an issue or a point of view and see, is there a different perspective? How can I come at this? And also having that sense of perspective that if something is happening today, that's just today. You can stand back from it, see a bigger picture, see where things fit in well, whether again, it's a good thing or a bad thing, just having a sense of perspective. And I think that brings great balance And you see something in a much more sustainable way, actually, if you have a sense of perspective with it. And the third attribute that I would say to me is important in a leader is connection. 
So it's very important, I think, if you are in the privileged position of having people to follow you, people have to want to follow you. You can't make people follow you. So as a leader, I think you have to develop that connection so that people will want to follow and therefore your leadership will be much more effective. Thanks, Mary. And I think those are excellent pointers for anyone working in, in, in compliance profession and, and really relevant to our, our listeners. I mean, trust and honesty really is a foundation. You really need to trust your compliance professional that they are giving you the right advice for the right reasons and that they, they have to be honest. You know, every day we're telling um, people most likely things that they don't want to hear. So, that, you know, that that honesty has to be there. And also connection, you know, that 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 people, as you say, want to follow you, that you have that credibility that makes it means they buy into, you know, whatever message, however unpalatable um, you're, you're giving them. As you say, Kathy, as well, it's, you know, we should acknowledge that it's not easy. You can't just, you know, rock up in the morning and say, right, I'm going to build my connections and, you know, have that form that trust. It is something that you, but you, I think you have to be intentional about it. I think if you think that actually these are the pillars that I really want to build my, you know, compliance profession around or whatever it is, whatever role you're in, these are the pillars I want to build around. Having that intention, I think just helps you have an awareness every day of trying to do that a little better. Yes, it can be something of a slow burn developing your compliance career. Mary, well, our listeners won't see that you have a photograph of Martin Luther King behind you. <laughs> but I was going to ask you who who inspires you. I don't know if that's a clue, but could, could you give us an example of, of your role models? Uh, yeah, I actually forgot I had that picture right there. And, and it's funny because you know, I, I've, it, this is a question I've been asked a few times, Cathy, and, and I kind of, the more I think about it, the more I really think people should be very beware of role models, I would say, really beware of role models. And the reason I say that is it's related to my point about difference and authenticity is, if, for example, if I call out one role model and I thought, gosh, yeah, that's the person I'd really like to emulate, then in a way I'm not really bringing my difference and I'm not bringing my full self to the table. So I'm always slightly wary of role models for that reason. Now, at the same time, I love to see people of difference succeed. And, and when you see people, you know, whether it's a woman or a person of color or people that you can say, oh, actually, maybe now others can see that as a role model in order to, to move up the ranks and, and take on positions of leadership or influence and achieve their own full potential. But, you know, there's definitely I've worked with brilliant people, no question about it. And some of the people that I might say to you, you know, were my heroes or role models would not be household names or people that you'd have heard of every every day. I literally would say every day I learn something from somebody beside me or I see somebody doing something and I go, wow, that's actually pretty fantastic. So there's so many different facets within that. Yes, definitely Martin Luther King, what a hero. And of course, uh, in my time working with Christine Lagarde, I thought she was fantastic as a leader. But I would say more as a leader and not as a role model. I think as a role model, my biggest duty and responsibility to myself is to develop my own unique and authentic style. Thanks. That's a really interesting perspective on role models. And of course, you can 
people can inspire you, you know, across, across all different categories, even younger people, I find quite inspirational. Yeah. And, you know, I learn a lot whenever I, I, I have um, young people, you know, on a team with me. So it's, that, that's a really interesting perspective. So delving it up more into your own leadership experience, Mary, you, you've obviously had amazing um, uh, experience. And what was the most important leadership experience that you had? And what impact did it have on you and your career? Well, this might change now, depending on the day you ask me, Cathy. But as I was thinking particularly about this one, I was thinking about my role in the IMF. So in the IMF, it's actually a very small team. So it's not really a people role in that sense. But there were 24 chairs around the board, all of which represents a constituency of different countries, totaling 188 countries at the time in total. and. My role uh, as Ireland's representative was whenever the discussion of the Ireland programme came to the board of the IMF to make sure that it got through smoothly, through the process smoothly. So I would actually spend an awful lot of my time going around to the various different individuals and talking to them and answering questions, giving them full information, letting them know everything that was happening in the programme, understanding any concerns they might have, uh, liaising with the authorities back in Dublin to see how I could address any concerns that might be there and so on and so forth. And, And really the most interesting part about that for me was that sometimes as a leader, what you're doing is connecting right across different constituencies. And I think your compliance professional listeners might really relate to that, Cathy, that this was really a situation where it wasn't so much that I was leading a large team of people, but what my my leadership role there was that I had to connect with all of these various people and really listen very carefully, what are their concerns, and then make sure I had addressed those. And of course, the other really interesting part about that was, uh, because you were dealing with so many different nationalities, it really opened my eyes to significant differences around culture and diversity. And I mean, it's always been a passion of mine, but that probably really accelerated my interest in it, because I had to understand what a person, what was their experience of being in the world in order to be able to understand where they were coming from. So I I really, and again, to me, the biggest thing about that was carefully listening and me also asking questions and, you know, being open and honest where I didn't understand things or where they were coming from and asking people to help me. So that, I think the cultural diversity was a real learning experience for me and a very important learning experience as a leader, not to take things for granted, not to make assumptions, but to listen carefully to other perspectives. And what would be the one piece of practical advice you would give to someone starting out or assuming a leadership position for the first time? Well, I suppose, again, it's all on the same theme of of understanding uh, who you are and raising that level of self-awareness. My biggest piece of advice would be know who you are and then use that as your superpower. And that's again sounds a lot easier than it is because I think really knowing and understanding who you are, what your values are, what drives you, and not you know perhaps what your influence to think uh, uh, from other fora, but actually really understanding yourself. It takes time, it takes reflection, it takes uh, self awareness. But once you get that, it really is your superpower. And I think, you know, seeing that 
diversity across teams of what people can bring when they dig deep into that is fantastic. So listen to others and listen to yourself. Those are great pointers for, 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 for compliance, for sure. So Mary, what has been the most difficult challenge for you as a leader or the most frustrating aspect or the most persistent challenge? Have you overcome it? And can, can you share how you overcame it? Well, I would say the most persistent challenge for me is one of my drivers is that I'm a very hurry up person. So uh, I like to get things done quickly. I like to move on. I like to sort of keep that impetus really going. And that sounds great if you're also that type of person. But of course, you know, when I ask people to bring their difference and all of that, not everybody is like that. And also it's not the right style for some types uh, of tasks that we're undertaking or some type kind of things that we're doing. So I would say that that is a continuous challenge for me. Definitely have not overcome it, Cathy. So it's definitely still there. As indeed the nature of a driver, the nature of a driver is something that you learned sometime early in your childhood, indeed, and you're carrying it with you. So I would say that for me, the way I manage that is coaching has been very helpful. So I, I will often use it through my own coaching and as I'm being coached myself, reflection. So, you know, a, a crucial part for me of being a really good leader is spending time in reflection. And so sometimes I would go into reflection and, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll be writing something down and I realize, yes, actually, maybe, you know, that hurry up driver was coming in there. So I'll, I'll temper that. And also having people around you, and I think this is really important for a leader, having people around you that are honest with you and that trust you. The higher up you go in an organization, as you know, the less people will really, really be honest with you. So if you've got one or two uh, confidants who are really going to say to you, um, you know, when something is kicking in like that, you've got gold dust and, you know, really, really foster those. And I'm very lucky, I believe, that I do have people who will be very honest with me. So, I mean, it's one of those things, a hurry up driver can be fantastic at particular moments in time. It can be, you know, and you acknowledge it as your strength, but equally you have to be aware if it gets in the way. Thanks for being so so candid, Mary. And certainly we're getting an insight into how you've achieved so much. Um, I, I think there's definitely an upside. Um, there's usually an upside and a downside. And you mentioned earlier, um, you're very passionate about diversity. And, and looking at a, one of the markers of diversity, of course, is, is women. And I've said a number of times now that, you know, the pandemic has shown that female leadership is not just about um, equality or ticking a box or being fair to a particular part of society. It actually really demonstrated that female leadership is good in and of itself. And it has, you know, more than demonstrated that. So what to you are the positive aspects of female leaders? I think it's a great question. And I think, you know, it's interesting that this is still a question when we talk about leadership and um, because we haven't got there yet and we haven't got there that it's sort of become irrelevant. We still need to focus on, you know, imagine us actually saying why we need women leaders. Imagine, isn't it interesting that we're kind of having that conversation? But of course, for me, it's it's the feminine qualities of leadership. And often, you know, you might see those qualities also displayed in a man, actually. Um, but most often, of course, you see them uh, in a woman. And, and part of it is related to emotional intelligence. And I think a sense, a different perspective, a very, very different perspective. It's interesting to me that a lot of the leadership we see now on the ESG agenda 
is through women leaders and it's really attracting women leaders and senior women uh, into that area into the ESG area and I don't think that's a you know that's a coincidence I think that's women saying you know this is something I really care about I think women bring a sense of care to what they're doing so I think it has to be something that they very much do care about uh, and they want to sort of uh, do good And I don't want to say that men don't do that. I really don't want to say that men don't do that. I think it's important that we look at, as I said, there's feminine attributes of leadership and the diversity is hugely, hugely important. And to me, the diversity is important, whether you're a man or a woman, that you should actually bring that diversity there. One of the things we've actually done um, since last year, and it was a real passion of mine, Cathy, was we've launched a program on uh, women's leadership and it's called Inside Out Leadership because it very much focuses on the person and actually, you know, how the person might develop themselves into being a leader and into being a better leader. And it combines the sort of skill set, you know, that you might need in any leadership position, the financial side, the strategy side, digital and data, with a company we've partnered up with called Women Up, who look very much at that reflective side, the self-awareness side. And again, I think that's a huge attribute to being a great leader to actually go on that self-awareness journey. And I see many of my women colleagues do that and are very up for that and very open to doing that. Gosh, that's really interesting, Mary, about that 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 program. So um, we would encourage our listeners to to look at that actually, and 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 see if 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 it's for them. And turning to your your personal time, is there anything that you do outside of work that you feel helps you be a better leader or better professional? Well, I think downtime is hugely important. So I love my downtime. I love you know listening to music, going to a gig having a bit of fun, going into the art gallery. And I say these with a big smile on my face, Cathy, because I've been able to do all of these things recently now as as we came out of lockdown. I'm a huge people person. So, uh, you know, actually not having that engagement with people during COVID was definitely hard and very, very difficult. Certainly not as difficult as other situations but that was my challenge. So my challenge was around not seeing lots of people. So I love to go out, spend time with people uh, and do fun things. And then the other thing I do, which I'm a regular yoga goer, uh, I'm not a practicer every day, so I don't get up every morning and do my, my sun salutations, but I do go every week to my yoga and I love it. And I love the philosophy around yoga and I particularly love reflection time and sometimes you know I'm not always sitting down with a pen and a notebook for that reflection time sometimes my best reflections are when I'm going for a walk Uh, I live near the coast here so I love to walk on the beach so and and, you know walking on the beach just hearing the sound of the waves and and getting that uh, reflection time is also very important and I think all of those things the switching off piece really helps me to be a better leader. Yes, I couldn't agree more, Mary. I know there's countless times when I haven't even been thinking about a problem that I've had at work that I, I just left it behind. And suddenly it hits me between the eyes, the solution, because I've stopped thinking about it, actually. So, yes, I think yeah, I definitely agree. Importance of downtime. And you lead a very important organization um, in the financial ecosystem in Ireland. You've held roles at the World Bank and previous to that senior position in in the country's central bank 
Have you any goals left to fulfill? Well, I think, Kathy, as I said at the outside, I really didn't have goals at the outset. And if there's anything left now, I think it's very much around existential questions. So very much around existential questions of me being in the world and, you know, what what more can I do to be my best self uh, in the world? I really do enjoy and want to continue supporting women and supporting women at decision making level and at governance level. I think that's very important. Governance itself is something that really interests me to get. You know, when you think of how governance in organizations work, it's the highest level of the decision making. And, and I really it interests me at how well people work together and how well people interact at governance level to make really good decisions. But ultimately, I think if there's any goal, it's the ongoing one of just do good. Coming to the end now, Mary, with our final question, looking to the future, what do you see as the biggest challenges or even priorities for you, the IOB and for the country and society? Thanks, Cathy. Well, I'd say for me personally, you know, related to my last answer there, it's to ensure that I really do live my best life and that I contribute to doing good and bring my own difference. So I think that that's for me. For IOB, acknowledging that the landscape has massively changed. So we have, you know, the exit of Ulster Bank and KBC uh, has changed the retail banking landscape enormously. The growth of digital and data and in particular the absolute imperative of sustainable has really changed the financial services landscape so I think for IOB to retain that excellence and relevance in the area of education and skilling and to move with our students to provide the type of learning that they want and that's the right one for those and really stick to our mission so raising standards in financial services really really sticking to that mission and continuing of course to collaborate uh, with the compliance institute and partners who have that same shared set of standards that we do and then for the country the world and society i think that's that's very much around there's first of all the economics piece of as we emerge from the crisis What's that going to look like? What is the world going to look like? And what sort of growth will there be? And that immediately ties you into the sustainable agenda, the absolute imperative. And it is the only question. The absolute imperative now is how is the country, how is society and how is the world going to address this crisis? Because we are absolutely out of time on this one. And we know we need to work together to make sure that we address the climate issue and the broader sustainable growth issue. And of course, finance and uh, financial professionals have such a key role in that, that I, I really hope that we can all work together on the sustainable finance agenda to make that um, all move in the right direction. And maybe there, my hurry up driver is a good thing, Cathy. Absolutely, Mary. And that's a really strong, really relevant, prescient, important message to, to finish on. So it just leaves me now to, to thank you for, for, for talking to us today. Um, you mentioned luck at the beginning of our of our discussion, and I think our listeners will be in no doubt that luck played a very small role in in your amazing career and your progress. I think you um, you've demonstrated all the all the the attributes that 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 drove your career. I think luck had a very little to do with it. And so, thank you very much for helping us celebrate this twentieth anniversary year. And thank you very much.
and congratulations, Cathy. Looking forward to continuing that strong relationship with the Compliance Institute for the next 20. Thanks a million. Thank you. And that is returned. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Compliance Files. This year represents a significant milestone for Compliance Institute as it marks our 20th anniversary. In November 2002, over 80 financial services professionals got together with the goal of providing a network for compliance professionals and to provide a framework for meeting the upskilling needs for what was then an emerging discipline. 20 years later, with over 3,250 members, we are the premier provider of education and professional development in compliance, providing a balanced and authoritative voice on matters relating to regulatory compliance and business ethics in industry in Ireland. To find out more on what we have planned for this celebratory year, please visit our website, compliance.ie.